give it up for the chapel in Richmond. Love you, men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. You're the best. Yeah. Hey, high five three people. Come on, high five three people and tell them you look good. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the chapel. Glad to have you here. We're in a brand new series we started two weeks ago called What About? We're a five-week series. I'll tell you more about that in just a second, but wanted to say good morning to the chapel in uh, Richmond in Scott's edition. Love you guys. Love what God's doing in the city. And of course, to our campus online, everybody online and the men and women in the jail. We love you. We think of you. We pray for you often. And uh, it's a joy to be together. How's everybody feeling today? Come on. You like a little fall weather? Huge thank you to you for your generosity like you've already heard. If you're in Midlothian, when you leave today, make sure you leave out the back entrance and you get to see we're planning some additional gravel parking. How many know we need some more parking? And so thank you for your generosity, those of you that are giving to Next and through your giving, tithes and offerings. It's allowing us not only to change uh, the world uh, with missions, but to move ministry forward in this city. So huge Thank you to you uh, for all you do. And then like you heard next week is step one of growth track. If you're kicking the tires of the chapel, wanting to know what our vision is, step one is designed just for you to tell you the vision of our church and what we're doing, where we're headed. Step two is all about you, so you'll love step two. And uh, it's just a great chance if you're newer, newer to the chapel to get connected. Well, we launched a series called What About? And you know, we have an annual tradition on Easter that we take an Easter survey. And on the survey, we ask you what you want to hear preached on. What do you want to hear from the Bible? Or what do you want to hear on current events? What do you want to hear about life? And we compile all those requests into a series that we do every year. And this year, we're calling it What About? And we got started a couple weeks ago with What About the End Times? And we looked at the book of Revelation. And then last Last week, what about my stress? And today we're going to talk about what do we do when we've made mistakes and how do we handle our past? What about my past? I got any imperfect people here today? How many are sitting next to somebody who needs the grace of God? In fact, if you're here this weekend and you say, Pastor, this isn't a sermon for me. I don't have a past. Then this is not the church for you. How many know we are not a perfect church? How many know we don't have a perfect team? How many know the pastor's wife is not perfect in this church? I mean, one of the things uh, we celebrate is that God meets us right where we're at. And so all of us have a past. And I want to talk about that today, how God works with our past and redeems our past and how it doesn't have to limit our future and the, the message of the grace of God. So I hope today that'll be helpful for you. But um, has, have you ever had a bad vacation? About three, three years ago, Katie and I had our worst family vacation ever. It was just it's just a really bad one. And uh, we, we went to Outer Banks and it rained all week, okay? Like all week, it was terrible. In fact, one day we, we you, know, you know when it rains and you're just convinced you have to get the beach in anyway? So we were like, it doesn't look that bad. So we went one day and it just poured on us and we're loading up the chairs as we're just getting hammered with, with rain and storm. And our kids did nothing but watch hours of TV all week, right? And, we experienced that, and because there were so many storms coming up and down the, the coast, 
uh, there, the, there were lots of riptides. And that was the year that my son got caught for about eight minutes in a riptide. And so we went through that. And I went out in a boogie board to save him. And I couldn't get to him. And then somebody else saved him. And then I was stuck out there like... I remember, in fact, I remember Katie hugging Jordan on the beach. Like, I'm so happy you're safe. And I'm kind of like, hey, guys, uh, I'm kind of like out here and uh, I need some help. And, uh, and it was just a bad week. In fact, we just often think back about that week. Like, man, that was a bad vacation week. And that was just one of the years we just didn't get it right. And, and then, then my daughter, the year after that, had an English assignment to write about one of her favorite vacations. And I came upon her essay when she wrote about that week. And she wrote it as one of her favorite weeks ever. Here she said, she said, we got to watch so much TV, exclamation point. And my brother got, got uh, caught in the, in the riptide, but my dad bravely went out to get him. That's what she wrote. And I was like, I failed at it. I was ineffective. But she saw me as like this, like rescuer. And I, I remember just reading it all, like how memorable it was. And I just was blown away. And it reminded me that in life, we choose how we view disappointing seasons, right? She looked back on a vacation that wasn't perfect, but she saw some things that happened that were special to her. And I think that sometimes happens in our life when we look back upon our past. We only think about the, the mistakes and the mess ups and the areas we came up short, but we don't oftentimes take a little bit more time to look at it and realize that God is still working in the mess ups and in the brokenness and in the disappointment. How many know God is at work even in the disappointments of our life, right? And, and, and it's just all about perspective. So I want to talk to you today. When you think about your past and you, you think about the challenges and you consider the difficulties, what do you think about? What do you consider? What do you face? I want to look today at what does the Bible say about my past? And I could have turned to so many Bible characters who had a past. In fact, it's like, it's like a soap opera, the Bible, you know? In fact, I've heard people say like the Bible's religious people. How many know they've never read the Bible, right? There are parts of the Bible I can't even preach on Sunday. You'd be offended. You know what I mean? Like there's one lady who gets mad at someone one day and she just puts a tent peg through their skull. We could do a whole how to deal with anger, you know, like. But I mean, I mean, there's just so many passages of scripture. But I thought, man, when I think of somebody who had to overcome failure, I think of Simon Peter. In his greatest moment, called by God, anointed by God, Jesus, drying on a cross, Peter blew it. He denied the Lord. How many times? Come on, somebody. Three times. He knew the disappointment, the sting of in the moment, bottom of the ninth, he's up to bat. He strikes out. When the big test comes, he gets an F. I mean, Peter knew what it was like to just not come through through at times. And probably we can all identify with Peter that there are times in our life that we, we haven't come through. We've come up short. We've dealt with some things and, and yet God gives grace to Peter. Let me show you what happens right after Peter has failed and Jesus is crucified and then Jesus resurrects. The Bible tells us that Jesus met Peter again. Let me show you it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way that early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
Let me just pause for a second. Who wrote the book of John? We can start over. Come on, John, right? How many know John wrote the book of John, right? And, and yet, do you know when he refers to himself in first person in the book of John, he doesn't say John said to Peter. He gives himself a little phrase that's very interesting to me. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that amazing? I imagine the other guys when they get to heaven, like for real. It's like saying like I'm mom's favorite. You know what I mean? Like it's just, I just, I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. It may be a little egotistical. I don't know. Hey, I just want to remind everybody. Aren't you thankful you're a disciple whom the Lord loved, right? Like how incredible is this? So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him saying it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. So I want you to see this. He's, he's disoriented. So they get this miraculous catch of fish. It reminds them that, oh, that's got to be Jesus. And he jumps into the water to swim to shore about 100 yards. But before he jumps into the water to swim to shore, he puts his outer garment on. How many know he's not thinking well, right? He's like, you know what? I need to swim a blanket. You know what I mean? Like, so he's kind of like overwhelmed with emotion. And the other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I wanna show you this picture of a breakfast moment between Jesus and Peter. And we're gonna learn how Jesus handled Peter's failure. And I think you and I are gonna be able to look in the mirror and see some things that God does with us in our failing moments of life. The first thing I see is that even after all the failure, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. He's so patient, he's so loving, and he's gonna teach them a few things. Maybe you just take notes, write down three or four things that Jesus taught Peter coming out of his failure. And I think he can teach us on how to handle our failures. Here's the first thing that Jesus taught Peter to resist the urge to come on somebody to what? To quit, right? Peter has just literally come up short. He's, he's failed in the big moment and he's now wandering in his faith and he doesn't know what to do. And after he's been called by Jesus earlier in his ministry to follow Jesus, he laid down his nets, the Bible said, meaning he gave up his fishing career, his vocation. He gave it up to follow Jesus. But after he failed Jesus, he went back to it. I'm going to fish, Peter said. So here's what happened. He had failed Jesus, and I think he thought, well, God must not have a plan for me in ministry anymore, so I'm gonna go back to my old job. And literally, when he, he said, I'm about to fish, the, the men with him said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. This is the picture of them giving up on what God had called them to, to do. 
I mean, you can imagine Peter was probably insecure and ashamed and embarrassed at how he had disappointed others. He was probably uncertain of how Jesus was going to receive him at this moment. He doesn't know what's his attitude going to be, what's his actions going to be. He, in, in the middle of all of this uncertainty, Peter just says, well, if there's one thing I know, it's that I'm going to fish. And, and what happens is because he quits, other people quit with him. We'll go with you. How many know when we quit, it affects others too? And so not only did he recoil or pull back from the great thing God had called him to do, but his quitting, his pullback was influencing others around him. He just thought God must still not have a plan for me. So I'm going to pull back from what God's called me to and instead of leaning into it. And he had a quitting heart. And I think sometimes that's what happens to us. We're oftentimes not discouraged by the circumstances around us. Sometimes we're discouraged by the unfaithfulness within us. Like, like it's not just about what I, what I didn't do for you. It's what I know I didn't do for me. It's, it's, a, it's my own disappointment. It's my own lack of faithfulness. It's my own lack of courage. And how many know it's easy to see our own problems, right? In fact, somebody said, uh, who's the biggest sinner that you know? And I've always said, I'm the biggest sinner that I know because I can see my sin better than I can see anyone else's sin, right? Meaning I know my own uh, shortcomings. I know my own doubts. I know my own challenges. I know my own humanity. And in the middle of this, Peter has an attempt to pull back. He says, surely, Jesus, you still don't have a plan for me. Surely, Jesus, you still don't have a call on my life. Surely, Jesus, you still don't. You, you, I, I messed up so much. So now I just need to go back to doing my old thing because you don't still have a plan for me. And I want to encourage some people that are feeling in the quitting season right now that God still does has a, have a plan. Sometimes, you, sometimes the most faithful thing you can do is just show up, keep walking, keep trusting, keep believing God and not quit, right? And Peter, Peter is in the quitting mode. And so Jesus comes to him and he reveals some things to him. Not only do we need to resist the urge to quit, just write this down. Number two, we've got to get this. We need to have a vision of Jesus that's fresh again, right? The Bible literally says Jesus' intention in this chapter is to reveal himself again to his disciples. Nothing will give us courage to overcome our past mistakes more than just seeing the face of Jesus again. The face of our Savior. In fact, I'm so convinced so many believers think you come to, to into faith through the cross and grace and Christianity. And then, and then you kind of move on to other stuff. But how many know you never move on from grace? You never move on from the cross. You never move into other things. Oh, thank God for the grace of God, right? And Jesus comes and he reveals himself to Peter. And he does it by creating this deja vu moment again with him. You see, earlier in, in Peter's life, in Luke chapter 5, we don't have time to look at it, but you can read it later. When Jesus really reveals himself to, the, to these men, they're out fishing. And they haven't caught anything all night. And he tells them to let their nets down on the other side of the boat, which, which is... Now, imagine you're fishermen and a carpenter's telling you how to fish. That's kind of annoying, right? But they say fine and they do it and they put the net down on the and, and what happens? This huge catch of fish. So so what's happening is they're they're fishing again, and the Bible says that a man yells from shore again, this is years later, throw your net on the other side of your boat and you'll find fish. And so when they did that, they caught so many fish that they were unable to even bring it 
in to the boat. Literally, they had this experience, the same as in Luke 5, caught such a large number of fish that it be, their nets began to break. And literally, here's what happened. Then Pete, the other disciple, Peter, says, it is the Lord, wraps his outer garment around him, jumps in the water. Meaning, here's what happened. He's overwhelmed because Jesus has created a deja vu moment for him again to reveal himself to them. And Peter puts on his coat, jumps in the water. The Bible says they're 100 yards out and he swims to Jesus and he has this just emotional burst because he has a revelation of who Jesus is again. How many, how many know God wants to show us who Jesus is again, right? Like it's not just about songs or sermons or talks or small groups. It's, it's about Jesus. How many know uh, the Sunday school answer is right, Jesus? Like almost always, Jesus, you know? Like, we want to be a church that's Jesus-centered. We want to be small groups that are Jesus-centered. We want to have families that are Jesus-centered. We want to live lives that are, come on. Boom, yeah. And Jesus is revealing himself to Peter in a powerful way. And Peter's overwhelmed with emotion. He has a sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, in uh, North Carolina, at uh, a military bank uh, camp, the F-16s would fly so close to the highway that it would scare a lot of motorists uh, hearing the roar of the of the aircraft, and so they some years ago put a bunch of billboards leading up to where the the aircrafts would be. That literally they just said this on the billboards. They said, "Pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom." Right, and so as as. As motorists would see that, they would anticipate, okay, here, F-16, that's, that's just the sound of our aircraft. And, and you may be here this weekend and you're like, I'm not used to a church where people clap and some people are raising their hand. Do they have a question? I don't understand that. And some people are yelling, what's with all these people? Well, I just want to tell you something this weekend. Pardon our noise. It's just the sound of freedom because God has done some things in our life. And when we see who Jesus is and we savor who he is and we understand who he is, there's a response from our heart of gratitude and appreciation and love to a God who's done some things in our life. Peter is almost out of his mind excited. He, he's emotional. He can't believe it. Throws on the coat. Swim. I can't believe it. Because his life has been changed by Jesus and he's seen Jesus again. And when our lives have been changed by Jesus and we see him again, we have an attitude of response of worship and praise to God. Can I get an amen this weekend, right? Like that's what Jesus has come to do. I want you to imagine as Peter's swimming to the shore, it must be going through his mind. What is going to happen when I get to shore and meet Jesus? How, what's he going to say? He's probably going to say, I told you so, you know, he's probably going to say I was right. He's probably going to grill me. He's probably going to correct me. I mean, Peter's thinking this as he's slugging through the water, approaching the shore, how is Jesus going to receive me? And maybe Jesus is going to say, I told you so, I was right. I, I, I love being right. Anybody else just like being right? I mean, anything I like being right. Katie will be like, what, what exit is it? I'm like, 122. She's like, you probably don't remember that. I'm like, I do. And for 30 minutes, I just can't wait to prove to her that I remember the exit. I don't know what the game is, but I feel like I'm winning it. Come on, where are the people with that kind of neurosis with me? Okay. I mean, surely Peter is gone. Is Jesus just going to say, I was right? I told you you were going to fail me. You failed me. I'm right. You're wrong. Sit on the bench. Hey, Peter. 
Hey, hey, failure. Hey, you got to earn your time. Hey, you're on probation. Hey, you, your HR called. You, you don't get your same seat back. I mean, what is he going to do? And as he arrives on the shore, something amazing happens. You would never guess it unless you've read it before. And that is literally Jesus is making breakfast for Peter. Isn't this weird? I mean, he's just cooking breakfast. And Peter shows up and Jesus is just over a fire making a meal. And Jesus doesn't ask him anything or say anything to him. You know what he's doing? He's creating a moment to eat together so that he can create a moment where God does restoration in Peter's life. He doesn't push the conversation. He doesn't initiate the correction. He's not driving the, the, the deal. He's just creating a circumstance where Peter can have an environment where he and Jesus can connect again. In fact, the Bible says when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and fish on it and some bread. And literally Jesus is just cooking. Come on, cracker barrel, old mama's breakfast with biscuits. Cornbread? Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> Jesus is creating a moment of connection. I remember I was in, uh, in seminary. I, um, one of our preaching professors, his name was Dr. Charles um, Carter was his name. Dr. Carter was the chair of preaching. He was one of the greatest Southern Baptist pastors in uh, the Southeast. He pastored great churches and he had just retired. He was one of the preaching professors and my wife got to work with Dr. Carter's uh, wife in, in, uh, at the church. And <laughs> it was actually funny because Dr. Carter had just bought his wife a new Volvo. And my, my wife was driving her car like it was like five days old to get lunch for everyone when she got in an accident in it. And sorry to bring that up. But uh, <laughs> that was how I got to know Dr. Carter. I said, hey, my name is Brandon. My wife is the one that crashed your wife's new Volvo. Sorry about that. We're sorry. I'll tell you what, I know that. How many know when you get married, we're sorry? <laughs> but I, I got, ended up developing a little bit of a friendship we did with the Carters. And I said to Dr. Carter, I said, is there any time I can pick your brain? He said, anytime you want. He said, why don't we do a monthly time together? I said, monthly, let's do it. I said, what time works for you? He said, how is 5.15 or 5.30 at Waffle House? Now, I don't like Waffle House. I nicknamed it Awful House, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Waffle House is the place they scrape the grill and they put extra stuff on there and you're like, what is that? They're like, mm, I don't know, but it's good. You know? uh, and and uh, literally, literally, Dr. Charles uh, Carter would walk in cufflinks, full suit. I mean, old school Southern Baptist pastor dressed up and he, we'd eat at Waffle House. 5.15 in the morning, I'm pulling in because I want to be responsible and on time. And I'm meeting him at 5.15 in the morning. He's got these cufflinks on. He's got the old preacher swag, you know. And it was there at Waffle House once a month over breakfast that Dr. Carter would teach me how to research for a sermon, how to lead a church, how to, how to, how to minister your family. I mean, morning after morning after morning, I just spend time with the goat. You know what I mean? How many know there's something about time in the morning with people that have influence, right? And you know what Jesus did? He set up a breakfast with Peter. And before he rushed into the conversation and before he brought correction and before he brought grace, which we're going to see in a second, he just established relationship. Can you believe this weekend that we get to have a relationship with the God of the universe? 
This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. They see a distant deity. We see a constant reality. They see a God that's far away, a deist kind of God set the world and set it into motion. We have a father in heaven that answers our call, who loves us and cares about us and gracious to us. It's remarkable. And Jesus sets up this moment of intimacy over, over breakfast and Jesus is cooking. And the Bible says so they stood around a fire to keep warm. And the Bible says, and Peter also was standing with them. Look how he says Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, when's the last time we saw Peter around a fire? <laughs> Just a few days before, the Bible says he's standing, warming himself around a fire when a servant girl says to him, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, I am not. He curses. He runs away. He hears the rooster crow, breaks in tears as he denied the Lord for the third time. The last time Peter stood around a fire warming himself, he failed Jesus. But how many know Jesus created another fire to restore him? In fact, the only time the word coal is used is twice in the book of John. The last time is to refer to it when he was around that fire with the servant girl and now with Jesus. Most scholars believe that John's trying to let us know even the scent of the coal on the fire would have reminded Peter, oh, don't you have smells that go with certain uh, memories in life? How many know fall, you think of pumpkin, right? And, and, and you, have, you have teenage sons, you think of disgusting, right? Like, I mean... But the, we, we attribute certain, you know, fire this time of year, right? Like, and we have a sense of like uh, smells remind us of things. Peter would have been approaching the fire. Think of this. And maybe going through his mind would be, man, the last time I smell coal, coals, I stood around a fire and I denied the Lord. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was setting the scenario for him not to beat him down with his failures, but to restore him through grace. Because he's gonna ask Peter three times, do you love me? And the Bible says, he says, yes, yes, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. I think what God is doing, what Jesus is doing is not torturing Peter by asking him over and over again. He's asking him three times so that the threefold affirmation of his love could drown out the threefold denial that he had given him so that Jesus could restore him to relationship, right? Aren't you glad for restored relationship, right? And around breakfast, we could have called this sermon bacon, eggs, and forgiveness, right? Around breakfast, Jesus begins the process of healing a wounded heart and restoring Peter to relationship with him and teaching Peter this principle, just write it down, that you never have to get stuck in a moment or season of your life where things don't work out as though you thought. That a chapter does not make a book. A season does not make a lifetime. How many know a mistake does not make who you are? How many know you, not, you are not what you did? You are who God's grace speaks over you and you don't have to repeat what you do. I know counselors tell us, well, if your grandparents were that way and your parents were that way, then pass down, you have to be that way. But the great message of the gospel is that God can break chains of generational brokenness and restore people's lives. Jesus says to Peter, I know you were, but I can fix that. I can make you something new. And over breakfast, he restores him. And let me show you what he does. He's about to call Peter out of fishing, 
back into his divine design. Literally, here it is, number four, that Jesus calls us onward and upward, right? And he tells Peter, hey, um, I, I called you to be a fisher of men. And sometimes I think it's true in our life. When we've had a past and we've made mistakes, I think we tend to walk away from our purpose. But I want to remind us today, God has a purpose. Let me show you how this happened. Jesus asked Peter these words, do you love me more than what? And people debate what this phrase, these, means. Because there, there are two schools of thought on this. Some people believe that the these refers to the disciples. So it's Jesus' way of correcting Peter's arrogance. Remember, Peter had a few days before said, even if they all deny you, I never will. So some people think Jesus was saying, do you love me more than all these other disciples? Meaning, Peter, are you still arrogant? But I don't actually think that's what happened is said here because the word these in Greek is neuter. It's neither masculine nor feminine. It's neuter. I think this is the second belief that Jesus is literally over the coals cooking the fish and he uses the spatula and picks up a fish. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Here's what he's saying. You went back to fishing for these. You went back to what I had called you out of these. I'm asking you, Peter, do you still want to do what I've divinely called you and made you for your purpose and passion? Do you, do you love me more than these? And Peter has a moment where he can affirm, yes, Jesus, you've still called me. And I want you to know something. Just because you made a mistake, just because you came up short, just because you didn't do so, there is still forgiveness. God says you, you, there's grace and wholeness and love and forgiveness. And he's still, how many know God still has a purpose and plan? The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means that God has a plan and purpose and your past does not limit it, but it can, but it can be used as a tool when you learn those lessons for the future that God has for you. Do you love me more than these? How many want to be a part of what God's called you to, right? And he's saying, Peter, don't let your failure and your mistake and your shortcomings rob you of that. I've called you out of that into something brand new. And I thought, I thought to myself this weekend, some of us here this weekend maybe are followers of Jesus. And yet, if the truth be told, we don't know. Uh, we, we feel like because of some mistakes we've made, that there's nothing God can do with us, that it limits our future. And it reminds me of a story in John chapter 11. You remember the story of Lazarus? You remember that? He's been dead and Jesus calls him, Lazarus, come forth and he comes alive. How many remember that story, right? The Bible actually says that Jesus in a minute tells his disciples, unloose his grave clothes. It's almost a funny picture because Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. Picture Lazarus, he's not even unwrapped, so he'd have to. He's kind of hopping out of the grave. And Jesus kind of looks at his disciples and goes, guys, could you unwrap him? It's, I, I kind of think of it this way. Jesus is like, I did the hard work of raising him from the dead. Can brother get some help here? You know, Unwrap him and... Uh, I just had this picture praying during the last service. I had this picture of a lot of people in our church. God's called you. He's resurrected you to new life. But maybe you're still wearing the grave clothes of your former way of life. 
And all Jesus is asking you to do today is do you want to just take those things off? Because those, those represent a previous season, a former way of life, a different day. And you don't have to be. You're alive in Christ for this new day. You can let go of the old things. Behold, Corinthians says, uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming what? new, right? And it's a promise that you may have been that way, but you don't have to be that way. You may be used to, but you don't have to be. God has a future plan and purpose for you, right? About a month ago, we were hanging out with some of our closest friends in New York, and uh, they were the, my friend is the treasurer of the church in New York that we used to pastor. And um, Mike has an incredible testimony. He's telling my kids that on the deck at night, in fact, over a fire, uh, He's telling them that in the 80s, he owned a restaurant and he uh, got majorly into cocaine and hit it from his wife, hit it from his dad, eventually bankrupt his, uh, his restaurant, bankrupt his life, lost everything. And um, he tells the story of hitting rock bottom in 1985 when he gave his life to Jesus. He went to a ministry called Teen Challenge. He got clean. And he's t- telling my kids I've been clean from drugs for I can't remember, 28 years. I can't remember what the number was, but incredible story. And he's telling them how for years he did cocaine. He bankrupted the business and he stole from his dad. And my son, my, my oldest son said, Mike, aren't you the treasurer of the church? And he said, yeah, I'm the treasurer. My son said, do you think that, you know, you, 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 so you stole money from your dad's business? Yeah. Do you think that you should be a treasurer? And then my son actually says, don't you think they could get a better treasurer? And my friend Mike says, there's no way they can get a better treasurer. Because you don't understand, God's done something so deep in my life. He's rebuilt my life, my business. I'm now generous. Like I, I got, he literally, what was he saying? That until you've known the depths of pain in the past, it's not till you walk in your full calling. And God sent me here to remind some people, it's not in spite of your past. It's oftentimes because of your past that God redeems our past and pours oil in the wound and heals the brokenness of our life and sets our feet on a, on a path of purpose and life and joy and a future that is full of God's, God's goodness. And the enemy says it can't be that way. And God says, watch me actually take what was actually your mess ups, flip it around and redeem it and bring about my good purpose and plan. How many are grateful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Like at work in all the places of our life. So the question this weekend is, do you love me more than these? Meaning, are you going to walk into your whole, that's what growth track is about next week, walking in your purpose, walking in your plan, figuring out how God's wired you and saying, God, I say yes to your plan and purpose. And saying, I know I've made mistakes, but those don't limit me. God has a purpose and a plan for my future forgiveness. It's why the old hymn writer called it amazing grace. How many know they didn't, Newton didn't label it pretty good grace. Solid grace. Above average grace. Decent grace. You know, C's get degrees kind of grace. How many know he took one look at grace and he said, I don't know any other word to say about it except amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see, right? What a, what a reality that grace has come to us in Jesus. And all the other religions of the world say, do this, do this, do this. 
only our message of the gospel says Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he stands on the shore of Galilee cooking breakfast saying, watch me restore a broken person into a place of usefulness. And just days from this, Peter will stand up on the day of Pentecost. Why would God pick him to preach the first sermon ever of the early church and have 3,000 people get saved? Because when Peter stood up, there was no doubt that he was preaching the grace of Jesus, not the goodness of himself. And what a reminder to us, right? Our past does not limit us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ as far as the east is from the west. He's delivered and separated our sins from us and we have forgiveness in him. Come on, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads all over this room? Nobody's looking around. And You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have a relationship with God. Or maybe you've walked away from it. Just raise your hand quick. I won't drag it out. Just quick. Yes. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Are there others? Yes. Are there others? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. I see that hand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me. One more time. Anybody else? Just pray for me. Yes, young lady. I see that hand. Anybody else? Pray for me. Yes, in the back. Yes, in the back. I see that. Wherever you are, online, Scott's Edition. Midlothian, I'm going to just pray for us and then I'm going to turn it over to Scott's edition. But you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be forgiven. So if you pray this prayer in your heart, God will hear it. It goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I know you died on a cross and rose from the dead to give me new life. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. Would you save me? Would you change me? Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and give me a new start? Today, I ask you to take away my shame, to forgive me of my past. Thank you, Jesus, that you reveal yourself to me. I believe in you today. And I'm putting my full trust, my 100% confidence in you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. I'm going to turn it over to Scott's edition.